Good morning. Come on in. Have a seat. Welcome. Just uh, really glad to see everybody here this morning. Uh, we've got a few things coming up this week. Uh, notably, Upward Basketball starts on Monday. So we've got a week of, right? We've got a week of uh, practices and then uh, another week and then the game start. And um, we just still need a few positions for some volunteers. Um, mostly, I just would like you guys to continue to pray about sharing your testimony at halftime. So every halftime of every game throughout the day, there's a, somebody comes out in the middle and shares what God's done for about five to seven minutes of a testimony. And it's just a really powerful time where you get to connect with these people. And remember, these people are they're just people like us, people that live in our city and work in our city. And um, it's an opportunity for you to, to tell them what God's done in your life. And it's really powerful. And we need about 100 people to do that this season. So I know I'm looking at many of you. Um, you won't walk alone if you decide to do this. Um, we have a, a support team. Um, you'll be paired up with, a, you know, whoever you are, if you're a woman, you'll be paired up with a woman or a, and you'll, or a man, a man, and you'll be able to walk with this person through that week, and they'll just help you, uh, help you uh, craft your testimony and pray with you and just give you some opportunity to feel supported in that. And uh, we need some people on that team. I have some people, but if you feel like uh, you, could, you could walk with someone in that way, uh, come see me after this. That'd be great. Um, if you're new today, we're really thankful to have you. I hope that uh, you feel welcome here today because you are. And after this, we have newcomers lunch. So just right across the hall, right after this service, if you'll just come over there, you have an opportunity just to spend some time with us pastors and get to know you better and you to get to know us. So if you're new or fairly new or kind of new, um, come, come to that. Like to, like to meet you, get to know you better. Then we have this, um, um, this summer mission trips are coming up. So we've got two mission trips that are, we're working towards this summer. Um, one is to Portugal. The tentative dates are the, the July 10th through the 14th. And we're going to be putting on a family camp and uh, just do, doing some things like that. So those, the trip will be longer than the 10th through the 14th. Those are the dates we'll be actually ministering. So it'll be somewhat before that, somewhat after that. And then there's a trip to Zambia on the August 4th through the 15th. And we'll be doing VBS. We'll be doing ministry to an orphanage that we work with there in Zambia. So Portugal, working with uh, Pastor Rick's son-in-law and his daughter, the 10th through the 14th, putting on a family camp. And then Zambia, August 4th through the 15th, doing VBS with the orphans there. Um, Come next Sunday afternoon at 4, and just come and hear about that and uh, let God work in your heart and your mind as to whether you're going to go on that trip or not. Then uh, lastly, uh, Jay Zastro has uh, taken a group up to this Catch a Fire men's conference next uh, Friday at 1 o'clock through Saturday afternoon. If you're interested in that, uh, talk to him. He's got a flyer about that. So um, that should be a good trip. And if you're interested, talk to Jay. Now let's stand up and worship the Lord. God, thank you for being our God. Thank you for bringing us from our places, Lord, into your house this morning, God. It's no small thing that we're here, Lord. It's no small thing that you love us and you, you've directed our footsteps, Lord, some for a long time and some for a short time. But here we are in your presence, in your house today, Lord, to worship you, to hear your word, God. And I pray that we would ready our hearts to hear from you. We'd put things out of our minds and uh, repent if we need to, but lay your, our cares at your feet, Lord, so that we could hear you right now and worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray that we would. Amen. Amen.
Let's begin by reading together as God's people this morning. Read with me. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Let's sing about being his people this morning, the people of God. Anthem re- 
Turn to your places. We will sing again this morning. Magnify the name of our Savior.
I hope you're doing well. That's an incredible prayer that we just sing. Christ be magnified in me. That's what we want. That's what I want. I, uh, I want to say thank you. Lynn and I say thank you for praying for us and with us through these last two weeks. We went down to Alma, Colorado. The church there asked us to come as the pastor. And so we've been praying because we got back that Sunday night to our apartment and God said, wait. And so you've been praying with us as we've waited to hear from the Lord. And this weekend, God spoke very clearly from his word and said, you're not to go. So we're staying here because that's where God wants us. Okay. So thank you for praying with us through that. And it's great to be loved here, but I really want you to understand we have to hear from God's word. That's the only way, only way that we go forward or sideways. Um, we can go backwards if we don't listen to God's word, right? So thank you for praying with us. But now we need to be praying for that church in Alma as they look for their pastor, okay? We have a great uh, need to pray together for our upward season as it begins. Tomorrow night, coaches will begin coaching little kids about basketball, but mostly going to be telling them about Christ and how to know Him personally. So we need to be praying for all our coaches, all our uh, referees. Everybody's going to be helping through everything from um, providing uh, snacks and and all kinds of things. So we need to be, be begin praying in earnest for these children and for their families as they hear the gospel, that many will be saved. Pray for Boyd Avenue, who's involved with us for a second year uh, in this endeavor. And let's go to prayer, all right? Father, we thank you for the opportunities that, that you give us. What an incredible opportunity, Lord, that you would send children into small groups and in large gatherings to hear the gospel. And Lord, we want, to, we want to be good in turning to you, humbly allowing you to be magnified in us, glorified in us. That's incredible, Lord. So keep us on task there, Lord. Help us to pray every day this week and ongoing, Lord, to pray for the kids that we see, for for the people that we know that are involved, Lord, and for those who, who aren't yet involved but need to be. God, help us to pray. Help us to turn to you and trust you. Speak to us from your word, God, clearly from your word. And I thank you that you have about Alma, about here. I thank you, Father, that you lead us with your word. And so, Lord, do that through this upward season that, that we're stepping into. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you on every level with our relationships. Thank you for what you're going to bring to us this morning out of your word, the way you've helped our pastor to prepare for it. Lord, speak through him. Help us to hear your word. Lord, help us to hear your word as, as far as our relationships, as far as our work ethic, our, our, our neighborhoods, God, where we live. Help us to hear your word 
regarding our finances, God, and, and uh, along those lines, God, we, we need to know how to give. So speak to us now. Help us to give to you. Lord, help us to, to see that you're magnified as we give in obedience. And Lord, be magnified as we seek to use the finances that we give in this offering for your glory. Be glorified, God. Help us to spend it well. Make it, make it go much further than, than it makes sense. Be honored. Be glorified. Be magnified. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Would our ushers come forward and help us give an offering? sun comes up, satisfies, for the day has passed us by. Before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with Lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts.
our days on earth and give us more wisdom in the secret heart as you display As morning dawn 
Okay, guys, time for our children to go. The two in the front row run as fast as they can. <laughs> well, good morning. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 19 with me this morning. Proverbs 18:10 kind of goes along with that last song. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are safe. I've always liked that verse. I love the pictures of just who God is for us in the scriptures and what that means to us, how we can respond to him, how we can know him and give him glory, but also receive just the grace that we need from him. It's powerful to spend time in scripture and to know the Lord. This morning, we're going to talk about a fairly difficult passage and not difficult because it's hard to understand, but difficult because it impacts so many people. Uh, we're going to talk about God's design for marriage, and it really does deal with not just marriage, but also divorce. And uh, that's a tough, tough subject this morning because a lot of people have been impacted by this stuff, and, and there's a lot of struggles and heartache and confusion sometimes, and there's a ton of emotions that are involved with this. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about this, but it's always interesting to me as we walk through a book, you know, uh, we were in chapter 18 last week and just talking about forgiveness, which is a powerful truth and a blessing for us to look at. You know, we, we talked about Peter coming and saying, hey, how many times do I need to forgive my neighbor who sins against me, my brother, up to seven times? And Jesus saying, no, uh, I don't say to you up to seven times, but seven times 70. And basically Jesus was saying, as often as he sins against you, you forgive him. And Jesus supported that truth by telling the story of the king who forgave this slave this unspeakable amount of debt, a debt that this guy could never repay. It was completely impossible for him to pay. And when he begged the king for forgiveness, he forgave the debt, set him free. And you just you kind of marvel. I mean, you know that's God talking about forgiving those of us who've sinned against him. And we celebrate that. We should. 
But then we read that same slave who was forgiven that debt went out and began to choke out another slave who owed him far, I mean, far less, wasn't even a comparison, and wouldn't forgive him the debt and threw him into the debtor's prison. And we, we realize that, you know, God's not casual. I mean, I hope, you, I hope you've known that or, or realized that about God. He's not casual. Like he expects us to have a standard. He expects us to respond a certain way. He has ways that are good for us. And we go through the scriptures and, and we're challenged, especially as we go through a book, we get challenged over the fact that God's ways are not our ways. But we don't like that too much sometimes. I mean, honestly, we really want to live some way in a, in a, a relationship with God whereby we tell God what we want, where we tell God what we think, where we tell God how we want to act, and then we kind of hope that God comes along with us. But, but I hope you realize when we look at Scripture, God's calling us to ways that are better by far. I mean, Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 is, is just some great thoughts. It says, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's a, it's not just a powerful truth, it's shocking. Because boy, do we like to tout our thoughts, don't we? We've got it figured out, we've got it nailed down. We've got it, you know, surrounded and how things should work because we're so wise. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so far are my thoughts above your thoughts. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad. Are you glad? Aren't you glad you don't have to carry the burden of figuring all this stuff out? And not, not only that, but his ways. He works in ways that you and I would never even comprehend or choose. If we could have a, a, you know, a variety of ways to even pick from, we wouldn't even know which one would be the best. But God's ways are so much better than ours. So as we read the word this morning, man, I really want you to, to think about what the word is saying about marriage, about divorce, about God's design for marriage. So Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. 
But he said to them, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need you. I don't know what else to say. Lord, you are calling us today to know your ways and to know your thoughts. But we struggle with that, Lord. We struggle. And I ask you to forgive us of that. And I just pray you'd open our hearts. I pray for those that are here that have been hurt, Lord, through broken relationships, broken marriages, through sin and devastation. I pray that you'd be merciful to them, Lord God, and minister to them. But Lord, I, I also pray that you just speak where we need you to speak <clears throat> to strengthen the things that have been damaged and to heal the things that have been broken. And I ask that you would call us to Christ in this, Lord, that we would see your goodness and see your grace. And I pray that you'll be glorified, Lord, in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so here we find Jesus heading to Jerusalem. We've been talking about that. Uh, it's several times Jesus has told the disciples, I've got to go to Jerusalem. There I will be arrested. There I will be beaten. There I will be crucified. And on the third day, I'll rise from the dead. So he's told them that. We've seen that he's been in Galilee up until this time. He was far up in the north, away from Jerusalem, about as far as you could get. And now he's come down, headed toward Jerusalem. To leave Galilee going south means you're closer to Jerusalem. He's probably toward Jericho, which is on the east side. Uh, we don't really know. It doesn't really tell us, but he's going to be in Jericho here pretty soon. So he's at least close to that area over there. And literally, he's doing what he's been doing. Crowds are following him. One and two tell us that the crowds follow him. And he healed them while he was there. So he's continuing in his ministry. But things are intensifying. I mean, he's really headed to the cross. That's his ultimate purpose. That's what he was born into this world to do, was to go to the cross. And I mean, this is going to be the pinnacle of all creation. Right? This is the day that is going to change everything about everything, but it's going to be one of the most powerful spiritual battles, the most powerful spiritual battle ever known to man. I mean, you and I, if you walk with Jesus, have spiritual battles. We have temptations we have to deal with. Man, we have trials we have to deal with. We have times where God's calling us to step into ministries or step in to speak that are difficult and overwhelming. But you and I have never come close to this kind of spiritual battle. And as Jesus gets closer to Jerusalem, I mean, the tests keep coming. The depth keeps getting deeper. The sacrifice keeps looming and it's going to just get crazy all the way to the end, to the cross, right? And so we read here as he's, as he's coming toward Jerusalem, in verse 3 it says, Some Pharisees came to Jesus testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And I, I read that and I kind of think, of all the things they want to test him with to try to cause him to stumble over, it's divorce. 
It's marriage. I mean, you would think that there's all kinds of other things that they would want to test Jesus with. And when we, when we talk about testing Jesus, they're not testing to find out if he knows. They're testing him to see if he's going to stumble, if he's going to make a mistake, if he's going to say something that they can accuse him of being a false prophet, if they can discredit him. That's what they're testing him for. They do not want Jesus to be true. They do not want Jesus to be right. They don't want Jesus to keep standing on things that they refuse to stand on, and it's not unusual. I mean, how many people today would love for God to not be true and love for Christ to not be right and love for the Bible to just be wrong? I mean, so many people today, they want to test you all the time. If you speak about Jesus, they're going to test you, and they should. It's fair. Because, because you should not be afraid to stand on the word of God. You should not be afraid to, to have questions asked of you. You know the truth. Man, there's so many Christians today that are even afraid to say, I know the truth, right? How audacious of you to say, I know the truth. Because everybody has truth, right? That's hogwash. That's a Fairberry term. It's just hogwash, One truth does not match another truth. They can't be opposites and be true. There's only one truth, right? And you and I know that through Jesus Christ, and we know that because Christ is risen from the dead. It's not hard to know. It's easy to know. But man, the world, the world doesn't want to believe that stuff. The world doesn't want to believe that Jesus is Messiah. The world doesn't want to believe that Jesus is Savior. The world doesn't want to believe that God is holy. The world doesn't want to believe that there's only one way of salvation. The world doesn't want to believe that there's a heaven and a hell and that Christ is the answer to that. They don't want to believe that. If there's any way that they can trip up Jesus and prove that he's not what he claims to be or prove that he doesn't know what he claims to know, then they're going to do it, right? So they come testing him. And the way they come testing him is they ask him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And let me just tell you this. The reason they're asking that question is because in Israel at this time, it was legal to divorce your wife for any reason. It did not matter. Pick a reason. Anything will do. And it had been that way for a very long time. But they knew that Jesus was teaching standards that were far more difficult to swallow if you didn't love God. Isn't that interesting? God's standards aren't hard for us if we know him, but if we don't know him and we don't love him, we certainly don't want his standards. Isn't that true? Well, listen to Jesus. It's, it's really powerful because he says in verse four, and he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And I love that answer. Have you not read? You know, here's these guys that say they're religious, that say they believe in God, that say they're really good religious guys that believe in God. And Jesus says to them, why are you asking me that question? You have the answer. God has given us the answer in his word. Have you not read God's word? Because quite honestly, when we're going to begin to deal with difficult 
subjects, when we're going to begin to deal with moral truth, when we're going to begin to deal with relationships that are complete and bound in Christ Jesus and in God through his creation, we better figure out what God's word has to say. I love what Max said about he and Lynn. We came back, weren't sure, sought the Lord till we heard from his word and his word led us to say we're staying at College Heights. Hallelujah. That's the way that's supposed to work, right? But so many of us don't look at God's word when it comes to standing before God, when it comes to walking with God, when it comes to living in this world, so many of us want to base every decision on emotions. I feel like, I feel like, man, I I don't know about you, but the Bible's pretty clear about emotions too. The Bible says that the heart is desperately wicked above all else, who shall know it? And it's talking about emotions. And and I don't know about you, but when I make decisions, I better put my emotions in check. Man, if you've offended me and I'm angry, you don't want me to respond to you in my anger. And I don't want to, because I'm going to be sorry pretty much immediately, right? So making decisions about truth in relationships, especially about marriage or divorce, you don't make those on emotions, Yes, so many people do, don't they? Matter of fact, let me just say this. I'm going to say this again before it's over. Don't you ever counsel with somebody dealing with a difficult marriage and say, well, I feel like you should do this. Don't you ever. Don't you ever impact somebody's life based on your feelings as opposed to the word of God. Jesus says to them, have you not Read. Listen to what he says. He says that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. And I'm telling you, that is an amazing amount of statement here. Jesus takes them back to Genesis. The first quote is from Genesis chapter one, verse 27, where he who made them from the beginning made them male and female. The second quote is from Genesis chapter two, verse 24. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And Jesus puts them together and says basically this, God who created man uniquely and who created woman uniquely He had a purpose for them in his creation, which was to bring them together as husband and wife and to make them one flesh, one flesh. Now that's a fantastic truth to me. I mean, it's truth in in such depth that, that you and I have to hear that there is a design for marriage given by God. One thing, if you don't remember anything else from what I say today, remember this, that marriage was not designed by men. Not by men and not by women. Marriage was designed by God. He looked at Adam, the Bible says, in Genesis chapter two says, you know, it's not good, the man shall be alone, should be alone. So therefore I'll create for him a helper, right? 
So he looked at Adam and said, I created you, but I created you with this unique need. He has a reason why I'm going to make a wife for you. And the need is because you need her and she needs you. There's going to be this unique relationship that I have designed and I have created. And the relationship is going to be one flesh when you come together as husband and wife. One flesh. I I can't say that enough. There's, There's... No longer two separate people. When you come together as husband and wife, you are then identified by God as one. And when he talks about making them one flesh, it talks about cementing them together. This unbreakable bond. Let me say that again. Unbreakable bond given by God. And so as he reads this to them, he reads this, the scriptures from Genesis, quotes that for them, and then he says to them, let me explain it to you. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Now here's the key. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now this is where things get a little bit crazy because I've actually had people tell me this. Well, I don't think God joined us together. I think I married the wrong man. I think I married the wrong woman. You ever heard anybody tell you that? If you haven't, you haven't asked very many people. (laughs) Because they'll be happy to tell you that. But can I just say this very simply? If you said, I do, They're the right woman. They're the right man. Listen, I know some of you are about to think, oh, pastor, you don't know. You don't know how hard it is. You don't know how costly it is. You don't know my wife. You don't know my husband. Let me just say this. After 33 plus years of serving the Lord, I know that personally, One of the most powerful moments that I am blessed to be a part of is when I stand up here with a man as the bride comes down the aisle. And I look at this guy. He's looking at his wife-to-be. And there's this power there. And I'm not talking about all these touchy-feely things. I know she's beautiful, and she is, and I know it's amazing, and people are taking pictures, and all the flower girl's nice, and all. I mean, I know there's some some things about weddings that we get all emotional about, and and I get emotional about a wedding. I don't know that there's very many weddings over these last years, and I don't know how many weddings I've done, lots of them, that I don't get emotional. And it's not because of how beautiful she is. It's not because how amazing he is. It's because there's this powerful thing happening, right? This powerful thing that whether we fully comprehend it or not, that God is in this thing. He's in this man. He's in this woman. He's brought them to this place where they are about to become this work of God, this one flesh that God then wants to be this testimony of his grace and his goodness and his majesty and his sovereignty to bring these two together. And then when they walk together as this one flesh, he's going to use them as a testimony to his love and his faithfulness and his perseverance in our 
our life that never lets us go. It's never separated from us. It's this crazy thing. I'm standing beside these guys, and I'm like, Lord, this is you. It's you. You're so good. You're so powerful. And it's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this incredible moment where God brings these two people together and they become this one flesh and God says, what I've done, what I have joined together, what I have brought together, no man is to separate. How incredible is that? And and I'll be honest with you. I know that marriage can be difficult for others. It's not difficult for me. It's a whole different, whole different service. <laughs> and Beth knows that's not true. We, we, we've been through painful things. I'm not just talking about the painful things that Beth and I have dealt with between us. I'm talking about painful things. I mean, marriage can be deep and it can be difficult and things happen. Tragedies happen. Hurts happen. Brokenness happens. I mean, I I don't have to go through all of it. I mean, there are times when I think we ought to do one thing and Beth thinks we ought to do another and I can't make her come around to truth. And it's difficult. Sometimes that's really true. Sometimes you can't make me come around to truth either. I'm not talking about this kind of cheap relationship stuff that so many people talk about when it comes to marriage. I'm not talking about some cheap kind of coming together as husband and wife. I'm talking about the understanding that when you say, I do, you are now seeing the work of God, whether you fully comprehend it or not, and God's done something between you and that husband or you and that wife that says, nothing now shall break this bond, and you better be in it, and you better be in it for the long haul. Now, let me say this as we talk about this for a minute. How do you do it? How do you do it? And there's only one answer. You do that through Christ. You don't do that on your own. I mean, so many people, part of the problem with marriage today is so many people have completely left God out of marriage. And so then when it gets difficult, they don't have, an, they don't have a help. They don't have a hope. They don't have security. They don't have wisdom. They don't have strength. They don't have forgiveness. They don't have love. They think they've built it all themselves. And now if it's not going to last, then I'll just tear it down myself. And out they go. All along at some level, somewhere, regretting and being broken. Man, sometimes I, I pour out all my emotions in the early service. I don't know how to do it any other way. It just comes flooding out of me sometimes. But I was was just thinking about this sometimes when it talks about let no man separate it. And I think about about people I sit with and it breaks me. 
I mean, it, it hurts me at a level I can't even tell you. What is it that's good about sitting with somebody who's told me they were in love and now they're not, who's told me they were committed and now they're not, and now their hearts are hard and now they're looking at that person that they once stood beside and held their hands and said, I do, I do promise to never stop loving you. I do promise through thick and thin to never leave you. I do promise to be the husband and the wife you've called me to be. I do promise. And now they say, I don't love them anymore. I don't want them anymore. And you can't tell me that I need to. I can't. But it breaks me. Because there's a brokenness in that that devastates. I've recently spoken with somebody whose wife just left him just left him. He didn't even know. Didn't expect it. Couldn't believe it. And this isn't the first time I've ever done this. Many times, more times I wish to tell you have I walked with people tell me that. Tells me I don't know why. If she'd have just told me I'd have fixed it, I'd have done whatever I could. But he's so broken that even when we share hope with him, he's too broken to hear it. And there he is, broken and hurting and angry and bitter and confused and empty. Because somewhere, someone said, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. When God says, you can and I'll help you. And so they've left God out. Well, I think the Pharisees knew that Jesus was going to call them to a standard that they didn't want to live up to. And they were ready. They knew when they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? They knew Jesus was going to say no. And they were ready because they did not want to hear that. And so they had their ammunition ready and loaded, and they were ready to take him down. And so they read in in verse 7, we read in verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? All right, Jesus, we knew you were going to call us this big standard, so we got scripture of our own. I'm sure they felt good about that, don't you? I'm sure they were like, oh, he won't have an answer for this. And the scripture they're talking about is out of Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. Let me read it so that we can have an idea of what it says. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found, he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hands and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who, was, who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she's been defiled. For it is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now, I'm not going to break all that down for you today. They didn't try to break it all down. All they said was, Moses commanded us to give our wives a certificate of divorce. If he didn't mean for us to get divorced, then why did he do that? 
Jesus. Well, can I say this? I mean, we're going to read this in a minute, but can I say this? That was never God's design. I mean, look at what Jesus says then. Because of the hardness of your of, of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it has not been this way. I love that. This is what he's saying is, what Moses did and what God has allowed is a concession. Let me just break this down simply to you. In Moses' day, these guys were already getting rid of their wives. It wasn't legal for the wives to leave. It wasn't legal for the wives to divorce their husbands. It was only legal for a husband to get rid of his wife. But here's what would happen before this was written in Deuteronomy chapter 24. A man would find whatever he wanted to find about his wife. He didn't like the way she she made the bed. He didn't like the way her breast smelled in the morning. She didn't like the way her feet smelled. I don't know. It didn't like the way she made biscuits. I don't, it doesn't make any difference. Whatever the reason was, they could get rid of their wife for any reason in the world, and they would send out their wives. Well, if they did not have a certificate of divorce, the women couldn't get married again. In that culture, that means they couldn't take care of themselves. They couldn't provide for themselves. They weren't allowed to have jobs. They had to have somebody provide for them. And so they needed a certificate of divorce because there was all these women left out there on their own. And so Moses said to them, look, if you're going to be that hard-hearted, give that woman a certificate of divorce so she can marry again and have a life and have protection. It was God's concession, if you will. It was God's ability to love those wives when they were being unloved by their husbands. But Jesus said it's because of the hardness of your heart. And he's not talking about the hardness of your heart toward your wife or toward your husband. He's talking about the hardness of your heart toward God. Toward God. And hardness of heart simply means rebellion. These people were rebellious against God. God had made them male and female. God had brought them together as husband and wife. God had made them one flesh that was to be inseparable. But because of the hardness of their heart, they didn't care what God thought. They didn't care about God's design for marriage. They didn't trust God to work through whatever problems they were going through. And they were just sending their wives off out into the world to be beaten down and taken advantage of and left alone. And God said, no. No, we're going to make a way for these women to be taken care of even though it was not my design. Man, I love what he says. It, it was not that way from the beginning. It was not that way. God's design for marriage is this sweet, powerful thing. It's this deep, powerful thing. I've shared this several times lately. still kind of makes me chuckle. I mean, I'll talk to some of the young couples, you know, and I'll talk about love or I'll talk about Beth and I and, you know, whatever. And I, I can almost see him go, ooh, you old guy. Ooh, don't tell me about loving your wife. <laughs> okay, I'm old. So listen here, Sonny. <laughs> listen here, boy. 
I mean, I want to say that. I try not to. What do you think happens when you live as one flesh for a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? We're soon going to run out of my 36, but 40, 50, 60. What do you think happens when a husband and wife are one flesh? When they're so committed to one another that nothing is going to separate them. What do you think happens? You think you love each other less? That's ridiculous. Some of the stuff that Beth and I have walked through, some of the nights that we've cried together over brokenness in our lives, pleading for God to be merciful to us. You think that doesn't drive our love for one another deeper? You think those times where we didn't have enough money to pay bills, we had to get on our knees and pray for God to provide for us and for us to trust him and not to turn away from him didn't drive us closer together as husband and wife? You think those times babies were born and we got to hold them together and celebrate this gift that God has given us in the form of this little red wiggly thing? didn't drive us closer together? You think watching them walk out of the house to live on their own and the two of us be left alone in the house didn't drive us together in celebration? (laughs) I'm not teasing. I love these. I love these people. Like, oh, empty nest is so hard. Whatever. Woohoo! Man, way to go, kid. Pay your own bills. I mean, come on. Marriage is this gift from God, designed by God to be a blessing to the husband, to be a blessing to the wife, and to be this testimony to the world of God's faithfulness. And God's unending, unconditional love and perseverance with us. And the longer you walk together as husband and wife, and the longer you go through trials together as husband and wife, and the longer you have to learn to love and give, the deeper your love grows. It's incredible what a gift it is. But like these guys in those days, Our world has made marriage cheap. You don't have to have a reason to get divorced today. Anything will do. It doesn't take very long. I don't know what it costs. I'm sure it costs something, but pretty soon you can be divorced. And I'm telling you, we ought to grieve that every single time. Because it never, it's never, may I say that again? It is Never good. Never. I know we have set up circumstances whereby we say it's good, but it is never good. Jesus says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And he brings it down to this complete understanding of what marriage really is. Right? 
if you divorce for any other reason other than adultery, you committed adultery yourself to be remarried. Understand the picture. Adultery, adultery breaks that relationship. It's already broken, right? One flesh is broken through adultery. That's what happens. So that relationship, if you choose, has already been broken. So if you choose to divorce at that time, the relationship's already been broken. And oh, by the way, I don't believe you should counsel people to divorce. I don't believe you should. I can tell people that God has said, the one reason for divorce acceptable to God is adultery because one flesh has been broken. I can tell them that, but I always tell them, if you will surrender to Christ, if you will forgive, if you will love, if you will persevere, God can heal that relationship even after adultery. And I've seen it. Have you seen it? I've seen it. It's miraculous. Oh, it's hard and it's costly, but God can do it because God's amazing, right? But so many of us, we counsel, we counsel. You don't like her, you don't like him, well, divorce him. We quickly counsel divorce. Oh, he's hard to live with, or she's hard to live with. Oh, she's an unbeliever, he's an unbeliever. We, we just quickly counsel divorce today. Guys, don't you ever do that. Don't you ever. I know there's some tough circumstances. I've dealt with some painful circumstances where I'm grieving for the person in that marriage. I still don't counsel divorce, I don't. I counsel Christ. Christ, turn to Jesus. Man, I, I watched for years as a kid, my mom and dad, my mom was a Christian, my dad was an unbeliever, my dad was tough to live with, my dad was hard at times. Man, I've seen him treat my mom terrible. I've seen my mom respond terribly. And I'm talking about swearing and yelling and names and all kinds of just garbage. And I mean, times where I thought, I don't know why they're not divorced. I'm, I was afraid they would be divorced. It would just blow my mind. I'd go upstairs as a boy and, and actually pray, God, don't let my parents divorce. Right? Who wants that? Who would want that? But then I would see my mom read her Bible. My dad would go to work. He worked nights. My dad would leave, whatever volatility was going on, usually ended then. I'd go watch my mom. She'd go read her Bible. And I didn't think about it as a kid. I didn't. But there she was, as imperfect as she could be, like I'm as imperfect as I can be, praying, asking God to do whatever God could do in her life. And 55 years of it, 55 years of my mom loving my dad when my dad struggled to love well and my dad got saved 55 years and my dad's a new man he's not the man I grew up with hallelujah but you tell me just tell her to get out he's abusive he's inconsiderate he doesn't love you was it all true at some level it was and at the level another level it wasn't because you weren't there and you didn't know but you thought you would have the right to tell her, get out, and you'd have been wrong. Careful. It's not some game we play. It's not some emotion that just wells up in us and then goes away the next day. We're talking one flesh. 
If you step outside, you divorce your wife or you divorce your husband, apart from adultery, and you marry someone else, it's adultery. It's sin against God because you're still married. Do you understand? And we go, well, God will forgive me. He will. It's amazing. He will. But do you think for an instant that your consequences won't come? Do you think for an instant that your children won't be destroyed? You don't know. You don't control that. You think for an instant you won't live for the rest of your life with a brokenness and a turmoil and a heartache that you can't get rid of? You will. And I've seen that too. That breaks my heart too. Because all of a sudden, what once was a loving heart, soft, growing, sweet, comes a hard heart. And every little thing after that, betrayal and brokenness, hardens your heart. And pretty soon, instead of being sweet, gracious, joyful, you're just broken. Listen, God's design for marriage was never that. It's never that. It was always something far more beautiful. And it still is today as you walk with him in marriage. We're not quite finished. Let me finish. I'll do my best to be quick about it. The saying was so shocking that in verse 10, the disciples say to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. I mean, some scholars think that they were kind of joking with him. Well, Lord, if it's going to be that tough, if it's going to cost that much, maybe we shouldn't get married. I don't know if they were joking. They were just saying, that's what we step into? We step into that commitment? We step into that level of love and faith in the Lord God Almighty? Man, it'd be easier if we just didn't get married. We wouldn't have to step into that kind of commitment, right? Well, Jesus, in the depth of his wisdom, says not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. And I always read that. I'm like, I'm one of those guys. I can't accept that statement. I remember being single and going, man, Lord, I hate being single. This is lousy. I don't want to go home by my, and I was young. I got married at 23. I can remember at 21, 22 going, Lord, this is nuts. I'm lonely. I know guys aren't supposed to say that, right? Well, good on you. I was just lonely. I wasn't made to be single. Hallelujah, God made a way, right? For me, so gracious to me, it has been all these years. But some men, some men, and some women, they've been given a gift, right? To those whom it has been given. It says, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. And I only chuckle because I was sharing this with Beth last night. She's like, eunuchs? That's such a, <laughs> such a weird, hard term. And like, oh, yeah, kind of makes me uncomfortable. Should. But it would have made them uncomfortable, too. 
I mean, it's never been okay to think about a eunuch. Either you think, man, that poor guy, whew, or you just judge him, right? But it says there were some who were eunuchs from their mother's womb, which means they were born incapable of procreating. They were eunuchs, whatever reason. Some were made a eunuch by men. I'll never forget, I was a music education major at Illinois State, and we're in music history one morning, and they're talking about castrados. They're talking about a time where women weren't allowed on the stage. So if you were going to have a soprano part, you had to have a male sing high. And I'm like, castrado? That sounds an awful lot like, yeah, castrate. Yep, that's what they did to boys. They would find a boy that could sing pretty good. They'd make him a eunuch, and he could sing good and high. Nice, huh? So there were some that were made eunuchs by other men. Typically in Old Testament times, it was slaves that would work with the king's wives, and they weren't allowed to have desires, if you get what I'm saying. But then they were some, I love this, who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He was able to accept this, let him accept it. And he's not talking about self-mutilization here. He's talking about there are some men and women who are called to be single for the kingdom of heaven to serve the Lord. So yes, there are some people that can't accept the thought of being married because they've been set apart by God to be single for the sake of the Lord. But let me say this. If that's you, then you live a celibate life. There's nothing wrong with being single, but that means celibate. That means you don't get to soil yourself with, with sexual immorality, right? Jesus is saying, okay, so if you don't step into the marriage thing that God has given to us for good, then God has set you apart for the kingdom. So now you live for the kingdom for his sake. You don't live for yourself. You see, part of what's crazy about our world today is that we have people that don't get married for selfish reasons because they have a plan for their life. Their plan is that they're going to do things their way when they want to do it their way for their glory and for their good and it has nothing to do with God's will in their life. But that's not what marriage is about and that's not what being single is about in the kingdom of God. It's all about God's glory. Man, if we get married, it's because God wants to do something in us through our marriage. And if we stay single, it's because God wants to do something through us. And when we're single, it's not about us and our desires. This is about God doing a work in our lives. But I love this little passage. It's so contrary to our world today. The world today says it's not about God, it's about me. But it's always been about God and it's never been about you. Because when you follow God's ways, God blesses you. But when you break them and you ruin them, man, it dishonors God and it impacts you. So what do we do? I mean, you look at this passage of scripture and you're like, okay, Mike, you cried, you yelled, you did all this stuff. What do we do? Well, first, 
If you're married right now, stay married. Stay married. I don't care what you're going through. Actually, I do care. What I mean is whatever trial you're going through in your marriage, trust Jesus. Stay married. Let God do something that's bigger than you by your perseverance and faith in Christ in your marriage. Stay married. Secondly, like I mentioned earlier, if you're speaking to a friend or a neighbor or a coworker about marriage, do not counsel divorce. Do not, unless you take them to this passage and you read this passage to them and you show them what God wants them to see in this passage. Do not. Do not be a part of separating what God has brought together. Do not be a part of that. Thirdly, if God's calling you to remain single for the glory of God, then like I said a minute ago, remain celibate. Remain celibate. There's no glory to God for you remaining single and then sleeping with multiple partners. Sorry, that's not what God's calling you to for sure. Be single, be celibate. And finally, don't reject marriage because of selfishness. Don't do it. Can marriage be scary? I suppose so. I think I was maybe too naive, and I think I still am too naive to believe that it was scary. I was never scared to marry Beth. Not one second. Couldn't wait. Was thankful when it happened. Still thankful. But I guess it can be scary. But know this. If you walk with Christ, and he brings someone to you for you to become a husband and wife with, you have nothing to fear. Because God will see you through. And I guess maybe one more thing. Man, if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus, then none of this that I've talked about this morning will work for you. None of it. All of this works through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never trusted him, my encouragement is for you to come to Christ and trust him as your savior and surrender yourself to him and let him walk you through this life, whether it's marriage or not marriage or whatever it is, trust the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. I thank you. I ask, Lord God, for you to be merciful to us. I know, Lord Jesus, that this is difficult for many people, and I ask you to be merciful to them, and I pray that you would bring healing to the hurts that they have experienced and grace. I know you're full of grace, Lord God. But I also pray that we will not walk away from the depth of the truth of your word concerning your design for marriage and try to do things without you because they just don't work. So Lord, protect our marriages. Strengthen the marriages that you have given to us. Heal whatever brokenness is in those marriages. Let forgiveness, Lord Jesus, Rule the day, day after day after day. Let love continue to grow. Let it be based on you, Lord God, and not on our hearts or our minds or our emotions. Let us build 
our marriages on Jesus Christ, our Savior. And for those that are deciding, Lord, are, are we called to be single? Let them be single. No shame in that. Be a gift to them to be single, but I pray that you'd help them live for you and not for self. Lord Jesus, for those that are lost, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. May you draw us to Christ. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Our pastors will be down front. We'd love to pray with you. Jesus, you are mercy. Jesus, you are justice. Jesus, you are There's so many testimonies of your glory in this room and in this church.
so many men and women that because of Christ have walked through struggles, trials, heartaches, hardships, pain, loss. But Lord, it's all to your glory because you're sufficient for us. You're good to us. We celebrate our marriages and we celebrate your faithfulness. And we ask that you would continue to protect and heal and forgive and restore and renew and guide, supply all the needs. We pray, Lord, for the places that our hearts have grown hard and rebellious, that you'd soften our hearts and we would look to you, Lord God, and trust you. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless each one of us. We need you, Lord, and we love you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.